Welcome to UX Soup, a short form podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Hello, my name is Lisa Cooper. Derek and Chris have the day off today. In this two-part podcast, we're going to talk about inclusive design in technology, and more specifically, the accessibility of products and services for people with sight loss. As part of our ongoing UX syndicated research programs, myself and Derek are interviewing people within the blind community to look at accessibility challenges and needs. Joining me today to talk about this topic is Martin Ralph, who is the Tech Services and Skills Lead at Guide Dogs UK. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hello, thank you for having me. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, Martin, and your role there at Guide Dogs UK? Yeah, absolutely. So I myself, lover of technology. I've been blind since birth, and I only really properly picked up assistive technology actually when I started working at Guide Dogs. My career had been, you know, mainly around network infrastructures, server environments, web development. So when I came to Guide Dogs, it just fitted like a glove. It was perfect for, for bringing all of those loves together and obviously helping people with sight loss. And in the role I'm doing at the moment as technology services and skills lead, it's my role to bring together all of that technology that exists outside in, in, the, in the vast world of assistive technology and mainstream tech and tell our staff about it, tell our service users about it and help integrate that technology into our service provision. And I think it's key that this type of role has someone with lived and learned experience. So I'm honored and I, you know, I love my role at Guide Dogs. And yeah, it's great to bring everything together that I love and also being a service user on my second guide dog now with a with a lovely German Shepherd. I know exactly what the organization can do and obviously what organizations around the world can do for people with sight loss. You clearly love your job, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you speak and, and you just clearly love your job and what you do. And you're doing a lot of good in, in your community. Yeah, I mean, I'm, one thing I've always said is that one thing I want to do, you know, with 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 my ability and skill set, is actually just make the world a better place for people with sight loss. And again, I know that sounds really cliche, but unfortunately, the the world is not built for people like us. So if we can help, you know, inform opinions and change things, or if I can help change the way people think and have and perceptions of people with sight loss, then I know I've done a good job. And I know, and I, and I know where is we're clearly starting to make an impact you know, on a, on a local to global level. And, and that's all that matters to me is making sure people are aware of sight loss and how they can help people. So when it comes to the design of technology, Martin, how well do you think UX designers are accommodating people with sight loss in the design of their products? Yeah, there's obviously a few ways to thinking about UX designers and technology, whether it be mainstream, a blue sky thinking and blue chip, whatever the case might be. But generally speaking, being honest and cutthroat, no, the, the, I would say the short answer is no, is we're not considered and we're not thought of. And if we are, it's left to the last stages. And I'll be honest, you know, I've, I've worked as a business analyst uh, at Guide Dogs and, and also in my other roles in different organizations. And I have been ashamed and upset to see suppliers and people like that, that are, you know, suppliers of people with, with sight loss don't even consider accessibility as, as a key point. It's a must. You should be considering accessibility with digital systems and technologies. How can you not? But arguably, outside of an organization of sight loss, that just doesn't happen at all. 
and accessibility across the board and UX design is not a thing. It is almost like we're just the added ingredient at the end of, oh, have we thought about accessibility? If you think of a website and it's designed for those clicks, it's designed for those mouse cursors and, oh, look at the visuals, aren't they amazing? Well, no, they're not amazing if they've not even got alt text behind them. So obviously alt text is used to help people with sight loss navigate at the screen and, and the information that's displayed in a visual way, uh, you know, audibly. So for example, if you've got a really fancy website and you really want someone to take a really specific user journey, but when you use something like JAWS or VoiceOver, when you're navigating that stuff, you don't follow the same user journey. And that can be, you know, edited and tweaked just as much, but we've got to read all the guff, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, if we want to get to one place, we've got to read everything to get there. Can you think of a product or service where UX designers created a phenomenal experience for people with disabilities or sight loss? I'd love to hear a couple of examples if you've come across them. One company that I felt did it really well, you know, accessibility by accident is what I like to call it, was the Amazon Echo devices. Yes. The most, I, I quote me for this, I always say they are the most accessible device on the planet because until they introduced the screen, so we'll ignore that for a moment on right, the Echo right. shows. <laughs> <laughs> they, it was the one device you could talk to and you would get you know, vocal feedback and you could interact with that with sight loss. No matter who you were, what you were doing, you could still have a conversation. You could do things. You could order food. You could listen to recipes. That is one thing that was never intended for people with sight loss. Yet I know Amazon guys worked with the RNIB, uh, Royal National Institute of the Blind, to work on the voice but it was never intended for blind people. It was about Amazon getting more devices into people's homes at the end of the day. But by accident, they've made it the most accessible device on the planet. And I think that sometimes the best things is, you know, accessibility by accident. And that's one of the standout examples, as I say, until they add a screen on. Right. <laughs> and again, it's that whole, well, why do we need a screen to do everything we already do? But obviously for people with being sighted, yeah, they can do a lot more and more fun things. Another good example is obviously Apple with Mac OS. Now, for, for a very long time, I, I, I repelled Apple. I'm a Microsoft certified professional by trade. So <laughs> to have Apple come anywhere near me was, was, almost, was oh, almost like, you know, traitor. <laughs> Lord Voldemort and Harry Potter, you know, in a chamber of secrets. <laughs> you know, get it away from me. But as I moved into the assistive space, you cannot deny how well they do it. It definitely comes across as if they care about it because every iteration is always a change and it's always there. However, I was setting up a, Mac, uh, a MacBook Pro for the first time using VoiceOver just over just literally this last week. And I stumbled across an issue that I'd managed to get so far and I came to setting up the Hey Siri. And as I'm trying to listen to VoiceOver, tell me what the instructions are, the microphone is picking up what what voiceover is saying to me so it's going well that failed well of course it failed because you're too busy listening to voiceover not listening to me <laughs> so <laughs> again as great as the idea is and as great as but the implementation just falls down right there so i was stuck on the hey siri screen honestly for about half an hour again siri is one of the most accessible assistants on the market but yet i couldn't even set it up using voiceover and so to me, that, that's almost like, you know, hypocrisy in its own right of you can't set me up, but you can use me once I'm set up. <laughs> and it comes that whole, you know, use experience out the box, whether you're talking website, whether you're talking devices is, you know, accessibility by accident is always great. But if you think about us first, you're always going to make a good product that's accessible. You know, just because you have to think about people with sight loss does not mean for a single moment it can be less pretty or it can be, you know, less functional. 
we love just as much of those functions and you know me being a geek as well i, I love to press things that don't work as well half, half the time who, who doesn't love buttons <laughs> and um you know being able to implement all that stuff and you know tactile feedback is always is always a winner straight away so anything that's physical tactile feedback is, al- is always good so martin what emerging technologies do you feel would benefit people with sight loss the most in your opinion i think i've watched the likes of boston dynamics and the spot robot with with interest in terms of well i could be a guide dog right <laughs> along with you know haptic sensors and feedbacks in in built environments right the way through to obviously autonomous vehicles etc but i think for the daily living and the getting out and about it is the things like spot the robot dog that really piques my interest of how do we you know harness that um and utilize that technology so for those in the audience that may not know what Spot the Robot is about, it is a robot that looks a little bit like a dog in that it's on four legs and it has capacity to lift loads and it can avoid objects and learn routes and has 360 degree vision. It has all of those capabilities in a way that could potentially replace a, a guide dog in the future. There is also another assistive device that comes to mind called Thea which uses force feedback to lead blind people around predefined routes that have been programmed into it. And that has been specifically designed for people with sight loss. Martin, uh, what's your opinion on that and whether guide dogs will be replaced by Spot the Robot or other assistive devices in the future? Obviously, I love a guide dog. I love dogs. I love that fairy companion next to you. And to be fair, nothing beats a guide dog. But who's to say you can't use that technology in conjunction with a dog? You know, who's to say that you can't have a harness built with sensors and and cameras that go on the dog that can help pick out things that they might not? Like Diesel, who's my German Shepherd guide dog, is brilliant and he's amazing. But what we call right shoulder work, which is where they look for obstacles over the right shoulder, He's not so hot on because he's always looking dead ahead and dead straight ahead. German Shepherd always looking as far down the road as he possibly can. He sometimes misses trees and branches that just, you know, just nick the right shoulder. And if there was a sensor that could, you know, just alert me to that, then I could very easily just move myself away from that. Uh, But again, there's no reason why I couldn't be removed from the dog. You know, I could still be with the dog. You know, things exist like uh, the WeWalk cane, Ultra cane, all that type of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, out in the industry. And yeah, they do a similar job to kind of that, but you don't have the dog, you know, and I'm not going to start that debate of dog versus cane because that, that's a big one in a sight loss sector. But for me, you know, yeah, I love a dog, but there are also people that love a cane. So, you know, it, it, horses for courses and, you know, what works for you, what floats your boat, etc. But for me, the emerging technologies, as I say, is to see where, where that technology can really, really go. And VR, VR and AR, as much as we can't experience VR gaming, AR can be totally used to our advantage. Scoping out room sizes, room spaces, and being able to know what's in front of you or behind you or to the side of you. Like one of the things I was banding an idea around with was obviously all this social distancing stuff, is how can we implement something where... You don't need to rely on other people having Bluetooth switched on or whatever the case might be to see how close you are within two meters. What about just a device that just literally tells you you're within two meters of somebody? You've got to think about the devices that already exist and yeah. never need to reinvent the wheel. 
So as much as things are emerging tech, I think for people with sight loss is that stuff's already out there. Do you have any examples, Martin, of technology that exists that's currently not being utilised to its fullest potential that could really meet the needs of people with sight loss? One of my colleagues said to me, well, came up with an idea with me in favor of an accessible notice board or accessible advertisement screen. And I spent a bit of time in, in, the, in the advertisement industry, only about 16 months in my career. And I already know that technology already exists, definitely in the UK, so definitely in America, that, you know, that can detect people walking up to the screen and can detect their emotion or can detect what they, what they are feeling right. and present an advert that works for them. Well, the idea was not just an advert that works for them, but also a spoken advert that works for them. Again, the technology is there, just no one switches it on and uses it. Right. Right. So, so yeah, emerging tech for me is always is one thing, but we still haven't harnessed the technology that already exists either. When it comes to emerging tech, especially in the uh, automotive area, when it comes to driverless taxis or even just bus designers, what do you think they need to consider uh, when it comes to people with guide dogs? So I think that's a very interesting point, and I think it's a great point to raise. I want nothing more than to jump into an autonomous vehicle and pick up my own McDonald's from a drive-through. That is literally a dream of mine, and I am not <laughs> going to rest until I have that dream. <laughs> but <laughs> there are obviously some barriers uh, we need to consider of me getting my McDonald's from a drive-through. For example, everything from hailing that vehicle, or say I already own it and it's parked near my house, whatever the case might be or whether it's a ride share, whatever the case may be, you know, the hailing and it getting to me is one issue straight away. How do I know where the vehicle's parked? How do I know what I'm looking for? Because Lord knows what you might invent might be bubbles for a <laughs> <laughs> How do I know what, what, what I'm looking for? Um, you know, flying pods, I don't know. But in all seriousness, how do we find it? Well, for me, I spent a lot of time investigating BLE technology, which is Bluetooth Low Energy, because um, I, again, in my previous role at Guide Dogs, I was concept development analyst. So I was looking at the future tech and how it could work. But one of the techs that still strikes me as why we've not used it more is BLE um, for indoor navigation and outdoor navigation. So using beacons and all, all fun things like that. So you know, it's that making sure we can find the vehicle, making sure we know what side of the vehicle you're getting into. So whether that be a phone app or whether it be an audible sound that just helps you, you know, low emitting doesn't annoy all your neighbors, but just, you know, like a cricket or whatever, just here I am, come and find me. And, and maybe, you know, like the whole Amazon being able to unlock your car boot to, to drop you in a parcel. If you've got the right access code, the doors opening automatically and where they open out or slide in, whatever. The more accessible way is to make sure that there's no obstacle. So whether that be sliding or, you know, demystifying, I don't know what you guys will come up with, <laughs> whatever the case might be, is making just making that journey less, less and less inaccessible. So if you think of a train or a metro or a subway, the doors are opening automatically as you, as you approach and you board. So that, that's one area where we've had rights since, especially in the UK, we've had rights since the 1920s and 30s and 50s with the London Underground, etc. The doors just open. But what about that boarding process, the, the alighting? So one thing I definitely would love or enjoy is I watched a, a mock-up video of what a Rolls-Royce might look like in 20 years or even 10 years, whatever it might be. And it was a, the, the fact that the roof had folded back and the doors had just opened and you just stepped in and there was no headroom to worry about because the roof had folded back and that just step in and like an aisle almost and, you'd, and there's room for the dog. You've got that room just to step up and walk in 
and not worry about headspace, not worry about knocking your head. And you're able to take a seat comfortably. So I think for me, for, before you can even think about where you're going and how you're getting there, you've got to think about finding the vehicle and you've got to think about the boarding and the alighting process. What does that look like for someone with sight loss and, and other disabilities? As low to the ground as possible and as high roof as possible. But I also think, you know, trains and buses to that same degree is that we've never got exactly buses right, especially in the UK, like talking buses, telling you where you're going, you know, only came about around 2013, 2014. Yet trains have been doing them again since the 90s in the UK. Such such a simple feature that was thought of last and bus drivers can still turn off whenever they feel like that should not be a choice, um, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. But also that entry and that exit and this whole social distancing stuff. And if that continues, there's, there's so much to consider about public transport at the moment. But it's all about that alighting process and boarding process for me that, that, that's crucial. And it accommodates more than just the community uh, with sight loss. That, that would accommodate many, many uh, communities, dis- people with disabilities, um, uh, elderly people. It just makes sense to be more inclusive anyway in terms of our designs. 100%. I think, you know, that's one thing that we should always be striving for with digital inclusion. It's not, it, it, to be fair, if you start including one group, you by default, you've begun to include other groups, but yes. all the research is required. So mobility issues, for example, you know, as you say, the elderly, you know, it's always, you make it right for people with sight loss, you'll make it right for the elderly nine times out of 10. Nice big, large screens so yeah. they can read it and, <laughs> you know. So I think there's loads of points, if I'm totally honest, but it, it's all about digital inclusion and yeah and where we go with digital inclusion that concludes part one of this podcast on accessibility tune in next week as martin and i unpack this subject of digital inclusion for people with sight loss even further if you want to know more about our research on accessibility for people with sight loss here at strategy analytics syndicated research please feel free to email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. Check out our latest user-focused insights on strategyanalytics.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter or by visiting our show page at ux-soup.com. Please remember to subscribe to UX Soup on your favorite platform where you can review and rate our show. See you next time. Bye for now.